Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Word on Wednesday, where we continue our study in 1 Samuel, Transition to Transformation. I am Pastor Winfred Burns of Word, Worship, and Witness Ministries. Notice that we got the Word on Wednesday, Word, Worship, and Witness Ministries. A lot of W's in there. I wonder what that's all about. That's just the way it came out, I guess. But anyway, tonight we continue our study in 1 Samuel, uh, and tonight we're in Chapter 20. We had a wonderful time in the Lord last week. And tonight is a continuation of last week because the the title of tonight's lesson is The Run to the Refiner, Part 2. And before we go any further, let's just stop and have a word of prayer. And not only have a word of prayer, but then I also want to uh, share some good news with you. Let's bow our heads. Eternal God, our Father, in Jesus' name, we come to say thank you. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. We give you the praise. We thank you, O God, that we can come into your presence. We don't take coming into your presence for granted because we know it is by the precious blood of your Son that we are enabled to come before you. Father, for we know who we are and what we were. We know what we did. But tonight, even as we bow before you, we come thanking you for the precious blood of Jesus because it paid the price for our sins. It enabled us to come to you, and not only to come to you, but to come boldly to your throne when we can find mercy and help in our time of need. And so, God, today we say thank you for that privilege. We not only thank you for the privilege of being able to come before you, but we thank you for the privilege of prayer, that we can petition you. And tonight we petition you to teach us, to lead us, to guide us to open up our ears and open up our hearts and open up our eyes that we might see and we might hear and we might understand your word. Not just what your word meant in times past, but what it means today. We need to hear from you, God. We don't need any more philosophy. We don't need anybody else's opinion. We need a word from you. We know, God, that if we get a word from you tonight, that it is a word that will bring life. We know, God, that if we get a word from you, it is a word that will correct our path. We know, God, that if we get a word from you, it is a word that will empower us. So, Father, we need your word. We need that word that will discipline our life. We need that word that will expose the lies of the devil. We need that word that that will carry us to yet another day, through yet another day. So, Father, help us. Give us your word. We need your word, God, because we want to bring you glory. We need your word, God, because there are some things that we're doing that are not like you. And so, Father, tonight we pray for your word. But not only your word, God, we need your spirit. Father, we need your spirit that will enable us, that will empower us, that will help us, that will lead us to all truth. Father, help us by lending us your spirit, allowing it to abide within us. So, so God, that we'll know how to live. God, we just need you. Finally, God, we need you because we, not because of all that you are, but because we love you. So, Father, tonight, tonight, be pleased to speak to us. Be pleased to dwell in us. Be pleased, O oh Father, to be our God, our King. Help us tonight, O oh Father, in this study. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, the second thing I want to do tonight is I want to speak to those of you who um, don't understand that uh, as a, that God has what you need. And not only does God have what you need, but God has given you what you need. What do you need? You need Jesus. That's, that's what we all need. We need Jesus. What, what do you mean you need Jesus? We need Jesus. We need, need Jesus because Jesus enables us to get to the Father. We need Jesus because we were estranged from him because of our sin. We need Jesus because we were on our way to hell because we had sinned and we were separated. And we were dead in our sins. And we were doing it our way. And the way that we were doing it was leading us to death. And so tonight, if you don't have Jesus, if you have not accepted the gift of God, tonight I implore you and I offer him to you. I say, hey, you know what? Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Invite him into your life. He won't deny you. and He'll come in, and because he comes into your life, you are born again, you have access to the Father, and you can truly say, I'm a child of God. I'm offering him to you tonight, and if you want to accept him, all you have to do is, first of all, say, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I come to you today, and I ask you to come into my life. I confess that I'm a sinner and that I, my sins need to be dealt with. And I believe that you are the Son of God and you died on Calvary to deal with my sins. And please come into my life. Please take control. I want to be a child of God. When you make that confession and you repent of your sins and turn to God, he'll in no wise cast you out. He will in no wise ignore you. You become a child of God. And from there, I encourage you, I encourage you to get with a Bible-believing church who will continue to teach you more about salvation, more about this new gift that you have, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, more about what it means to be saved more about what it means to be a Christian and be a disciple and how to grow in Christ. You need some, some brothers and sisters around you who will help you with that. Now, I'll do the best I can in, in this remote uh, location that I'm in right now, and you can call me if you want Jesus. Uh, you can call my call-in number is 929-477-2304, and I'll make arrangements to sit down and talk with you after the show, um, or you can, on Periscope, and I'm out on Periscope even right now, and you can just flash up on the screen and say, hey, you know what, I want to be saved. Uh, I want to know more about salvation. So one way or the other, we'll get in touch. We'll do something. We'll we'll figure out a way, but we don't want you to uh, miss out on the gift, and it's the gift that God gave you for eternal life in Jesus Christ. So that's that. I, I, I make sure that every week from now on that I do that because it's so important with all of the teaching, with all of the preaching, our job, the one thing that Jesus told us to do is to spread the gospel and make disciples. And so that's really what this te these teachings are about. For those of you who already have Jesus, to strengthen you in your walk with God so you can become better disciples, so you can can really, really share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see how simple it is. I try to make it as uncomplicated as possible because you're not going to learn everything in just a few seconds. And that's why I always say, find a Bible-believing church, find a group of believers, and we're everywhere. Believers are everywhere. We're not hiding. So that's that's that part. Now, so let's get into um, this this First Samuel again. You know that the study is transition to transformation, 
And tonight we are in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Um, last week we have, there was a lot of there was a lot of meat that we got to, and I want to review it real quick, just a few things, and then we'll move right into chapter 20. Amen. So the first thing that we learned last week in chapter 19, as we looked at what Saul was doing trying to get people to kill David, we came away understanding that it's Satan's desire that to bring division. He wants brother against brother. He wants us to divide ourselves. But God's desire is that we learn to walk together as one. And I spent, spent a lot of time last week um, talking about unity within the body. And one of the things that I want you to walk away with is that, you know, in order to get unity within the body, I've got to have unity within myself. I've got to have unity in my home. Uh, and I've got to have unity in my community. We've got to have unity in the church. We should always strive for unity, especially in the body. It's, it's so important. And we talked a little bit about why Satan desires us to be divided and all the all the little things that we do to divide ourselves. We spent a lot of time on that. The second thing that we learned last week was don't allow the, the, the spirit of crazy to make to 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 make you a part or make you an instrument of division. And the way I like to think about it is just because they're crazy don't mean I have to be crazy. You, Many of us respond to crazy with crazy. They're doing something crazy, so we think that they're do, what they do as crazy gives us a license to go crazy ourselves. And that's not so. If they want to be crazy, let them be crazy by themselves. We have a responsibility to pray for them. We have a responsibility to bless them. But we don't have a responsibility to get with them. And a lot of times, you know, when somebody get on your nerves after a little while, you say, oh, I'm about to get with, I'm, I'm going to get with them right quick. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the other. And if you ever really stop and check yourself just for a second, what you're saying is, because they sin, and I'm a sin too. The third thing that we learned last week is that Satan's desire is always death, but God has promised deliverance. And we had, we look at a couple passages of scriptures real quick. Uh, one was uh, John sixteen thirty three, which is these things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall, shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And we were what we were doing was laying the foundation for this 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 lesson of the run to the refiner, because what we were saying as we talked about division, as we talked about all of the things that happened, was that that this the things that were happening to David, the things that are happening to us, the trials and tribulations that we face, they were ordained by God. That God, who is the author and finisher of our faith, is allowing some things to happen that we might be pushed into the fire of refining. That trials and tribulations have not, are all designed to make us better, and we're going to see a little bit more of that, and you know, in the in the in the ensuing chapters that we look at, what we'll be seeing during this entire time is David being prepared to run a kingdom. It was David's preparation to 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 become king and to rule as God 
would have him rule. I'm going to throw something else in. You know, God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. Now, David is described as a man after God's own heart. But that wasn't, as they say, that's the basic ingredient that God needed from David. I just need to know that you want what I want, and I can work with it from there. Now, I didn't cover this off last week. As a matter of fact, this just, this just, this is, as they say, hot off the coals. God is looking for individuals who want, want what he wants. That's, what, that's who God is looking for. He wants people who have a heart for him. He wants people who are after his heart. He wants people who are after his heart of mission, of, of, of evangelism, of sharing the gospel and, and presenting the gospel. Those are the people that he's looking for who want to be a part of the body of Christ. He is looking for people like that. And you might say to yourself, you know what, um, I love God, and I want to do for God, but, 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 but I'm lacking in Samaria. No, you're not. If you've got a heart for God, that's all he needs. He'll take care of the rest. He'll put you in that fire. He'll expose you to things that you need to be exposed so he can transform you into what he wants. And he can do that. He can do it. We're seeing it here. We Remember when we started this journey? When we started this journey, how did we start? We start with a bunch of ragtag tribes who were all off doing their own thing, who think they come to the conclusion that in order for them to be stronger and defeat the enemy, they need a king that will unify them and lead them out. It's all a part, a part of God's plan. When God left them in the promised land, he left the enemy there with them. And, and go back and look, and it says that he left them there, the enemy there, to prove them. That's what he was doing. He said, yeah, I know. I'm leaving them there. I'm leaving them there. He leaves the enemy in your life because the enemy becomes a tool that God uses to make you what he wants you to be. The enemy sometimes it will test you. The enemy sometimes will try you. There's a difference between a try and a test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a difference. But whatever the enemy does, whatever the enemy does, he does nothing. The enemy can do nothing without God sanctioning it. And when God sanctions something, it is because he is shaping you. He ain't mad at you. He's, he, it's discipline. I look at some of the things that God is doing in my life, and I'm going to tell you something. I don't like it a wee bit because it hurts. It, it's bothersome. It's sometimes embarrassing. Because, And why is it embarrassing? Because sometimes it exposes stuff in me that I want to keep hidden. But God wants to bring it to the forefront of my life, not so others can see it, but so I can see it and acknowledge it and say, you know what I need thee, oh, I need thee. Oh, yeah, God's not interested in embarrassing you. No. Mm -mm, no, that's not, his, that's not his MO. He's interested more in making you what he wants you to be because he, he's anointed you for his service, and he's preparing you to serve. Amen. So those are the, those are just the things that last night that we came to, and we finally came to or Wednesday, last Wednesday night, and we finally came to the conclusion that, it, and this was the most important thing, that no matter what is happening to David, no matter what is happening to you, you can rest in it because God is in charge. So, in this refining process, you yell up fire, get hot, but God know how hot to make it. With these trials and tribulations, yes, they get on your nerves, but he knows how to do it. He is, sometimes he's got to break us to make us. 
Sometimes he's building us up, and sometimes we're getting torn down. Sometimes he's feeding us certain things that we don't want. It's just like a bodybuilder. If you've ever been done any bodybuilding or weightlifting or anything, oh, them things that, there are days when you come home after lifting and lifting, and your whole body is just beat up. The muscles are torn, and then all of a sudden, in order to repair the, those muscles, and get them ready for yet another bout of weightlifting, you've got to feed them properly. Well, God feeds us properly. And he restores us to a point where, guess what, we can go out there and do it all over again. Amen? So, with that said, and I have taken a lot of time going through that. Um, we better get at it. We better get at it. So, turning your Bibles to First Samuel chapter 20, and I'm going to have to do some work real quick to get us through this chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 20, and I'm going to begin reading at the first verse. And what I did tonight was I broke this up into um, four what I'm going to call scenes because there's movement in this chapter, and I want to go through uh, each one of the movements, so then we can it'll help us to see the picture, and not only that, but see some principles and some 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 laws that are in here. Okay, and there's a lot in here. I couldn't, I really couldn't decide, you know, how to handle this chapter because I could have looked at it just from all we can learn from Jonathan. I could have looked at it from all we can learn from Dave, David in this time. Or even the response of Saul. And, you know, literally we see Saul being driven by Satan. Could have looked at it any number of ways. And what I'm going to do is just try to pick out the salient points that the Holy Spirit wants to reveal tonight. And so he's really got to speak. I believe he's spoken to me already. But if I go off message, that's all right. Donald Trump is doing it every day. But only I hope that this has positive results. So... I'm going to, the first scene is um, chapter 20, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read those first. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied. You are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It is not so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do, it for, I'll do for you. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon festival, and I'm supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said, if I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went there together. So in this passage, what we see is David, who had been at, uh, um, at Ramah with Samuel, and we re remember that um, when Saul came to Ramah looking for David, that the Spirit of the Lord protected David 
by having Saul bow, just strip himself and bow before Samuel and begin to um, go through the motions of the prophets. He wasn't giving prophetic utterances. What he was doing was he was going through the same motions that the prophets used in those days. But basically, he was literally bowed before Samuel. Samuel, who he probably would have killed along with David, had God not intervened. But now while Saul is bowed before Samuel, David takes off running back towards Jonathan. And when he gets to Jonathan, he has questions. And the question he is asking is, what did I do to deserve this? That's the question he just, what did I do to deserve this? And you, you, I've read to you the conversation that they had, and what you can see from that conversation is you can see that Jonathan is still in a position of intercession, that Saul's behavior did not impact Jonathan to the point where he turns against David because, as you, as you can see, Jonathan really loves David. Jonathan has submitted himself to David. Jonathan is in covenant with David. And you have to understand the power of covenant because the power of covenant basically uh, says that here's the, here's the activities that, that bind us together, but more than that, everything that you have belongs to me and everything that, that I have belongs to you. So they're literally as one. And they're not letting anything or any circumstance separate them, their love for each other, their friendship for each other, their admiration for each other. They're not letting anything get in between that. And so when he quest when David questions Jonathan, Jonathan is like, first of all, he says a prophetic word. He says, you're not going to die. That's the first thing. You're not going to die. Secondly, he says, I will find out what my father's intentions are because Jonathan is committed to intercede for his friend. And thirdly, he says, and I'll make sure that you know what it is because we're going to find out really in a few, a few minutes what's, what the real problem is with Saul. And we already know it because I think he's tipped his hand on more than one occasion. Because there is a, there's jealousy that's driving him. There's anger that's driving him. There's fear that's driving him. There, he's, he's got this demonic spirit that's driving him. He has rejected the word of God and opened himself up to Satan. And that's, that's really important that we understand that when we say no to God, that we are saying yes to Satan. When we look at the word, it's a lot of times we look at the word and we say, no, I'm not going to do that. And a lot of times it's because, one, we don't understand it, or two, we don't like it. We just don't like it. There are certain things that God wants us to do that we don't want to do because it involves submission. It involves us uh, uh, adhering to something that don't look good, that don't feel good, that don't taste good, that we just don't like the uh, nothing about it, and so we reject it. But in rejecting it, we have to understand what we're really doing. We're rejecting God and accepting Satan. Think about that. What is it that 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 you're doing right now? What are you engaged in right now that's, that's, a, that's a no to God and a yes to the devil? What has God called you to do or told you to stop doing or, or said this is not right? What is it? And, and more importantly, is it so important or do you love it so much that it causes you to say, 
Yes, Satan, I'm with you. That's that's something that I want you to think about tonight. But Jonathan is not going to break the relationship that he has with David. Despite what David is telling him and the situation and the problems that David is having, he says, Look, I'm going I'm still I'm I'm your guy. I'm your guy. You to ask yourself a question right now. When did God make a promise to you and you call him on his promise and he tell you no? I said it but I don't mean it. When did God vow and break his word? He's never done it. He maintains through thick and thin the relationship, the covenant relationship that he has with us. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us, and he hasn't. Just as Jonathan shows what a friend looks like, Jesus shows what a friend looks like. God shows us his friendship. I remember Israel made that that record years ago, I am a friend of God. God is my friend. Let's keep going. There's benefits. There's benefits in covenant relationships. One of the benefits is intercession, as we've already discussed, because Jonathan will intercede. Jesus intercedes for us now. That's one of the benefits of being in covenant with Jesus. The second one is life. Jesus has promised us eternal life. Jonathan tells David, you are not going to die. Now, I want to to strengthen somebody tonight. I want to strengthen somebody tonight. I want you to understand that what you are going through will not end in death. There might be somebody out there that's listening to me who's got a bad doctor's report and the doctor said you got X number of days to live. And I came to tell you tonight that new, you shall live forevermore. Now, there's two ways. One, God can heal you on this side. Or he could take you to the other side and give you the eternal life that he promised you. Either way it goes, you ain't going to die. And I'm not hedging my bet either or nothing like that. Don't, don't get me wrong. God has spoken to you. If God has spoken to you and told you, not that, now I'm not talking about you hoping that you'll get over this illness. If God has told you that the sickness that's in your body right now is not unto death, then God has said life on this side. And he said, I'm, I'm your healer. If God has told you that, then you hang on to that. Because God is not a man that he should lie. And I want you to begin to walk in your healing and walk, as they say, plan for your future. So if you were getting ready to take a trip to the Bahamas, don't cancel that. Forget the doctor. He don't know. He just He's going on what he sees. But you have to go on what the Lord said. And if the Lord told you that you healed, don't you cancel that trip? Mm-mm. As a matter of fact, save you up some money so when you go on that trip, you can really, as it said, really party, really bless the Lord. Plan, as it, plan on going. Start. You know how we do when we get ready to go someplace. Get your outfits together. Get you some new luggage if your luggage look all raggedy. Make sure your passport is in order. And go ahead on and live, because God has said live. Agree with what God told you, not with what man tells you. I don't know where that came from. The other thing is that that what happens is, uh, and bless the Lord, um, that there are generational blessings that are associated with covenant. There are generational blessings that are associated with covenant. Look, let's read a little bit more. I stopped at verse 11. Then Jonathan said to David, wait a minute, who's here? 
Wait a minute. Hold on. Let me hear. They, they, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I got carried away. I got carried away. I got carried away. <laughs> because, you know, I, I get carried away sometimes when the when the, the 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 Lord sends a word that I wasn't expecting. I didn't expect that, that word of healing to come through for somebody, but that's what God wants you to remember, that he, if he, what he says goes. Okay. Let me keep going. And I, I'm going to hit that generational blessings in the next in the next passage. So I, I finished 1 to 11. I'm supposed to go, uh, scene 2 is, and that's why, because I'm looking at, at, at my notes, and I didn't bowl scene 2. Scene 2 is, and, I, and I've gone through parts of it already, and I didn't read the passage. Uh, the stuff that we're talking about, covenant relationships, I needed to read verses 12 through uh, 23 before I covered that. So we, I'll go through this fast. Here, let me read it. Then Jonathan said to David, By the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sign out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. That's that part about intercession that I talked about, really. When you're in covenant with somebody, they will intercede for you. And, and you know, when I was talking about Jesus interceding, drawing the, drawing the parallels between what Jonathan, as his friend and covenant brother, does and what our covenant brother Jesus does for us. That was that intercession part. Okay. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father, but show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon festival. You will be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by the stone Ezel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send the boy and say, go, find the arrows. If I say to you, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here, then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. So the second thing that we talked about was that covenant. And now, if you notice in the reading, the covenant is between not just David and Jonathan, but the house of David and Jonathan's house. Because what Jonathan has asked David to do is, look, I know what the Lord is, has anointed you to do, that the Lord has anointed you to be king. And, I see, and if my father is doing what you say he's doing, then when you come to power, because the word of the Lord is true, the, the word of the Lord is sure, the word of the Lord is powerful, and it is swift, and it is sharp, and it does not come back to the Lord without accomplishing God's intent. And because God has sent his word forward to, to, to David, basically telling David that I have anointed you to be king, Jonathan knows that no matter what his father does, David's going to be king. And so Jonathan says, look, first of all, he says, you're not going to die. But secondly, when you become king, don't treat me like an enemy. 
don't do to me what a king should do. Because remember, back in those days, to make to secure the throne, to secure the throne, any enemies of the throne were killed. So when a king took the throne from another king, the first thing he did was he would purge the kingdom. What do you mean he purged the kingdom? He killed everybody and anything associated with the previous king, especially the king's kid. And who is Jonathan? Jonathan is the king's kid. And so Jonathan is saying, you know what? Let's let's come into covenant agreement with each other. He says, no matter what, I want you to bless my family. And I want you to take special note of this, those of you who are who, who have been following the study and studying alongside and will continue to study. Look at the covenant agreement. The covenant agreement is that, that David is going to show kindness to the house of Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Remember that. I'm, I'm, I'm singling it out because we're going to get to a point where that comes into play. And so it the the final point that I was making in that thing was generational blessings. Some of us are being blessed right now, not because of what we did, but because of the things that our parents did. I am being blessed because of some of the things that my mother did. I am reaping the harvest from seeds that my mother, my grandmother, and my ancestors planted. I am told that I am built like my grandfather. So he passed these genes on to me. I never, or my great grandfather, rather. I, I never saw him. I know that there are phrases and habits and things that I have uh, that came directly from my mother. Prayer came from my mother. Bible study came from my mother. Reading and, and, and uh, as they say, uh, having this this perfectionist tendency, all of those things come from my mother. She planted those in me. And so I look at these as the blessings, the generational blessings. Being in the house of God, that comes from my mother. We didn't, we didn't oh, there wasn't no... Am I going to church? Am I going to Sunday school? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Christian education was mandatory. In the Burns house? Oh, no. Sadly, uh-uh. you were taking a bath, getting ready for Sunday. We didn't get ready on Sunday morning. We got ready on Saturday. What do you, what do you mean you got ready on Saturday? Your clothes had to be ironed. Your bath had to be taken. The boys had to sign them shoes. That hair had to be ready. My mother would stand up with a hot comb on, I think she was doing five or six heads on Saturday, getting them ready for Sunday. And they would put them slave rags on after she did their hair. That hair better stay in place. Oh, you didn't get your No, you didn't get your She wouldn't hot comb your hair and then and put them curlers and stuff in there, and then you get up in the next day looking like a rooster like you need. No, 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 no. You get up on Sunday morning iron, and you iron Saturday. If you went out as teenagers, if we went out Saturday night, Sunday morning, you weren't exempt from Sunday morning. No, you won't be in by Saturday, so you could be woke for Sunday school. And don't get up with no attitude like you sleepy. Uh uh-uh. uh, you better be, you better be, <laughs> better get ready and be singing all the time. Glad to be in that number. I can I can tell you exactly in time truth speak Sunday morning early that mean you better be hurrying, hurrying up because you you saw Jubilee showcase first and then you listen to in time truth speaks putting your clothes on when in time truth speaks went off that radio you better be at that front door ready to go so we can make it to Sunday school oh yeah mhm that's generational blessings and my kids got the same thing 
They, they, they've got the same thing, and I believe they're going to pass it on to their children too. By the way, if you, um, if you have any questions of what we've t- touched on so far, uh, it is 929-477-2304, 929-477-2304. So the benefits of covenant relationship, just quickly, intercession, life, generational blessings. Let's go. Let's keep going. Verse 24, where I'm at right now, verse 24. So David hid in the field, and when the New Moon Festival, you know, now you, you saw, I'm not going over some of this stuff because it's a narrative, and, you know, they can, you can make up a whole lot of stuff about what's going on here. I, don't, I choose not to. I choose to let the story speak for itself. So David hid in the field. And when the new moon festival came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan, and Abner sat next to Saul, but David's place was empty. That's interesting. Abner's now sitting next to Saul. Here's a character that we hadn't seen before. Abner sat next to Saul, but David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought, Something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town, and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said, You son of a, of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now sin and bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done, Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On the second day of the month, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. Now, in this passage, what we see exposed is the reason Jonathan finally learns from Saul the reason why he intends to kill David. That was the question that opened up the chapter. It opened up with with David asking, what have I done? Why is he treating me this way? And we finally find the answer. Jonathan finally gets the answer because Saul is still going against the word of God. Saul refuses to accept and adhere to the word of God. Saul has yielded himself to that power of Satan, and he is now directly opposing the will of the Lord. He said, because God has told him, the kingdom won't pass to your son. The kingdom will not, there will not be a dynasty established in your lineage. This kingdom is going to another. Jonathan accepts that, and he accepts the will of God. But Saul doesn't, and Saul is committed to fighting it. And so he reveals to Jonathan, I'm going to kill David because David is not going to get 
the kingdom. And you ought to be on my side because I'm going to kill him so you can get it. But he, what does he call him? He calls him a perverse. He is the son of a perverse woman. You, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. That's what he calls him. Isn't that, don't that sound like the pot calling the kettle black? But now, what we need to see here, now that we know and understand Saul's intention, look at his rage. He's so outraged he's about to kill his own son. That's something. But, but what we need to do is we need to understand. And right now, some of you who are going through trials, you have to understand the difference between Saul's intention and God's purpose. Because as we go to, through being refined, and you can relate this to your life real easy, by the way. I don't have to go through all those changes to, to, to tell you because you know where you're at. You know what you're going through. You know what God is taking you through right now. You know the devils that are attacking you. There is an, a difference between Satan, Satan's intent and God's purpose. There is a difference between intent and purpose. That was what the Lord was, showed me this afternoon. There is a difference between intent and purpose. What is intent? Intent is, the definition is resolved or determined to do something. The design or purpose to commit a wrongful or criminal act, admittedly wounding, with intent, the state of mind with which an act is done are clearly formulated or planned intention. So, so it uses a couple of ways. First of all, it when we say intent, we are determined to do something. Saul is determined to do something evil. When we another way to use the word intent is when it is a when we design or purpose to commit a wrongful act. So, uh, robbery with intent to kill, or, or, or fraud with an intent to deceive. Okay, by intention. So it is intentionally. It's something that we want to do, that we desire to do, that we plan to do. But purpose is different. Purpose defined is the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. So the intent to do versus being purposed to do. Subtle. Not, not, I, I'm, not, I'm not delineating it. Let me, let me go at it again. God has purpose. Your existence, according to God, is based on his purpose for you. It ain't, it ain't, it ain't what God intends to do. God don't intend to do nothing. No, 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 no. When God speaks, it's not, and he speaks into your life where he spoke over your life or he designed you, he had designed you not with intent but with purpose. It was his purpose. It was his will for you to be saved. It is his will for you. There, there's a better word. It is his will for you to prosper. He's purposed you to prosper. And when I say prosper, I don't get prosper and, and material wealth confused. No, he wants you to prosper even as your soul prospers. So we're talking spiritual prosperity that may or may not lead to material prosperity because one of the things that I'm learning is when you are spiritually blessed, material is secondary. You know, you get 
You get happy in a pair of blue jeans. You don't need Yves Saint Laurent and all them designers. You're so happy in some blue jeans that you ain't thinking about that stuff. You're so happy in your one-bedroom apartment and, and, and all that it affords you in blessings and communion with God that you're not thinking about the five-bedroom house that, that all of a sudden you got to cut grass and all that. Oh, no, look, just nope. I say, Jesus and Jesus alone. You see, that's the difference with purpose. But intent, that's a, some, somebody designing something in some kind of way. And so there is a major difference between intent. Saul's intent is to kill him. God has purpose for David to be king. And in order for David to get to be king, David has to go through the refining fire. So God is using Saul as an instrument to drive David away from what he thinks he wants to the place where he needs to be. So it's all a part of God's plan to fulfill David's purpose. Now think about that for a second. The job that you thought you should have got that you didn't get that forced you to do a job that's lesser than what you are qualified for, that you're still mad about, look at look back at it again. Your intent was to have that job, but because it, God had a different purpose for you, God said, no, I've got to go a different way. Look, what would happen if David had to sit there with Saul, cool and calm as a cucumber, in the palace, what would he have learned from Saul? What is he going to learn in the wilderness? What would you have learned in that place that you were driven from? What did you learn in the wilderness? Intent versus purpose. Pleasure or the fire? The palace or the wilderness? What did, go back to the question that we started with. What did you do to deserve what you are getting right now? You got saved. You gave your life to Christ. You are in a covenant relationship with Christ. And that's why you're going through what you're going through and you're getting what you are getting because God said so. God who is setting you up and he's using the enemy Push you to the place that he wants you to be. You just graduated from the pleasures of the palace, the pleasures of the world, the pleasures of flesh, into a place of spiritual development, a place where God is going to train you in holiness. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you once again for another week. We thank you that you are taking us to the refiner's fire. We don't like it, but we take great delight in it. It is not fun, but it's joy. And so we ask, Father, that you be patient with us that you teach us to trust you at all times in this fire because we know that we promise that where you would lead, we would follow. And just as your leading caused Jesus to go to Calvary, here we go. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I know that 
You don't like it. I don't like it. None of us like trials. That's where we are. That's where David is. That's what we face. That's what Jesus faced. It says, for the joy, for the joy, he endured the cross. He bared the shame. Some of us right now are enduring bearing shame. 